Well, hey, you uh, live streamers and podcasters, uh, this is two-way communication today, so I'm expecting to hear from you. So go ahead and get your coffee and whatever on your comfy couch or your bike or whatever you're doing. Well, if you're on your bike, don't, you know, post. But uh, we want to hear from you as well. All through this message, uh, please participate. And Ann, I'm trying to figure out uh, how our... uh, how our live streamers are going to participate in Trunk or Treat. So um, send money and we'll buy candy for you. How's that? How's that? See, there's advantages to being able to be in presence. Some of you are in different states and some of you are, are in the area. Some of you are in other countries. Uh, you don't get to participate. Those of us that are here, we actually get to come and you get to eat the leftovers. <laughs> Last year, there were no leftovers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, hey, if you're in the room, it's just great to see you and worship with you. Thanks for being here today. I get to continue uh, this fun series that we started uh, about four weeks ago. And do I ever have juicy stories for you? I'm going to read them straight out of the Bible. It's wild today. And when we read the Bible, you know what happens. It's it's an amazing phenomenon. It's like no other literature. Because it's God's inspired word, it's always active and, and right and alive. So we're going to read an ancient story of 2,000 years ago. It's like putting a mirror up and seeing what we're experiencing in the present. And then it's like taking a shot into the future and describing what God is doing and how we can follow God into the future. It's an amazing thing today. We're going to live past, present, and future. We're going to have a blast. But first of all, I want you to take a look at this picture. Assume it's your kid's room, a grandkid, a sibling, somebody else that you care for. Just fire out right now. What emotion just got evoked? What emotion? Fun is not a good emotion. This is a mess, Greg. Some other emotions. What would you like to have done to that room? I think this room is a pretty good description of scattered, don't you? <laughs> a scatterbrain is a person who is thoughtful, disorganized, or confused. Uh, by the way, do you know anyone like that? The people in the room were wise enough not to raise their hands. And if you were on a couch next to a significant other, you should have been wise enough not to have done that too. When I had COVID about a year ago, a pretty nasty case, and came out the other side, people would be all interested about it. It was fairly early, and so it was rather novel. And by the way, not everybody who got COVID was bothering to tell people at the time, because we all experienced social shunning. But other than that, you know, I didn't know better, and I told people I had COVID, and they'd come up all concerned, like, and curious, and they'd say, do you have COVID brain fog? And I would say to them, wouldn't I be the last to know? I mean, really, what a dumb question, right? Go go ask Ann, you know? By the way, if you don't like parts or all of this talk today, it's COVID brain fog, okay? I'm just declaring my innocence right there, yeah. Oh, scattered. You know, a dictionary definition is that it means uh, messy or disorganized or confused. In fact, the word scatter probably comes from the same root word as shatter, to break into pieces. And our text today is about being scattered. By the way, this is after the introduction when you're free to leave if you want to. Some of you right now are saying, 
I came to be encouraged, and he's going to talk about things breaking apart. I have plenty of that in my life. Uh, this is your only opportunity. After this, we're going to lock the doors, and you got 35 minutes of me. So it was your last chance. You've been warned. Here we go. From Anne's, Anne's uh, uh, in this story, uh, we're going to hear of a murderer, of vigilantes, of a martyr, of refugees, of injustice, of villain, destruction, transformation, and expansion. Phew. I can hardly say all those words. Hang on, seat belts, here we go. Last week, Ann introduced us to a problem that the church encountered, and in that, they decided to fix it by appointing seven people to be in, in, engaged. We're going to become familiar with some of those this week. This story is about three men. It's a story with a theme, which is God makes good out of bad. We know that Stephen was one of the seven guys that was chosen to handle the benevolent funds. And now Stephen is giving this convincing talk to a bunch of religious people about the risen Jesus. Now, his religious listeners are very well versed in cancel culture. They had no capacity to dialogue, and they wanted to kill him. Does that sound familiar? Is this like today? And we start reading from Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 57, right at the heels of Stephen finishing this compelling talk about Jesus rising back to life. This is what it says. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile... The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named, here's our first character, Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's dying words were really similar to Jesus' dying words, weren't they? When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If there's any question about Saul's opinion in this matter, it's dissolved when he gives his consent to having the witnesses who were actually the people who said, I've observed your infraction, and therefore I'm going to engage in your penalty, which in this case was death. Saul, if there was any doubt, as we spill in now to chapter Eight, it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. He proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed were lame and healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
Some of you are uh, joining Evergreen for the very first time online or your guest here today. Today, I think, as we talk through this story, that all of us are going to find ourself in the story. I think when we talk about where God is moving things and us, we'll all find ourselves in that story. I want to give you have a heads up, too, that in the middle of that, I'm going to talk a little bit about Evergreen, this particular church and congregation. Uh, you, some of you will not have any of that history. Uh, I'll, I won't be long, and I'll, ma- I'll make it clear. I think it'll be interesting for you as well. Please stay tuned, because I think all of us will find our place at the end. So Stephen's speech to these religious guys just caused an, a, an explosion of persecution against Christians in the city of Jerusalem, where the church was founded. Now, Christians are literally being drunk, drugged from their homes. They're being imprisoned. Undoubtedly, some of them are being killed. And so fearing for their lives. Did you know that Christians sometimes are afraid? Hmm? Fearing for their lives. They did a smart thing. They scattered, and they ran out into the villages and the towns of Judea, which was just a part of Israel just north of, of Ju- Jerusalem. And some even went further into the western region of Samaria, And there they were to spare their lives. And so as the Christians evacuate the cities and move toward these towns, ironically, one of the major principles and the major antagonists for this persecution was this guy named Saul. We are introduced to him as he was still in, in his Jewish faith, and we get him by his Hebrew name. Later we discover his name is Paul. He didn't have a name change. He's just now among Gentiles, and so we have the Roman version of his name. Some of you are familiar without the end of his story. We'll talk a little bit about that. But he is a raspy, nasty guy right now in Jerusalem. And so on the surface, this may appear to be us to be a huge setback into this movement of Jesus followers. I mean, they are shattered and scattered. But you know, there's an interesting twist to the story here. In the first three weeks or two weeks of this four-part, uh, eight-part series, I think this is the fourth one, we discovered that the church in Jerusalem that started as this miraculous and huge way, like thousands of people coming to Jesus, was really, really having fun. And I'm all for having fun. How about you? It's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to give a thumbs up if you're online. I'm all for having fun. And I'll tell you how the fun was. They were hanging out with friends. They were meeting new people. They got to hang out in their homes. They got to sit on couches. They got to eat and drink together. They got to pray for each other and care for each other. And most of them did not have jobs because they were mooching off of their hosts. This was like an ideal situation. So they're having a blast in Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately, they had forgot about the mission that they had been given by Jesus when he said to them, go into all the world and make disciples here, fear, and far, near and far. They forgot about the mission because it's way more fun to have fellowship than to do mission. Now, I'm all for fellowship, going to have plenty of it this week. You should too. That's not the point. It was fellowship at the exclusion of mission. It would be like evergreeners making decisions based upon non-essential but very personal preferences. Like I'm going to make missional decisions about masks or food or vaccines or music or political positions or about which cable news or other stream you get your information from. In fact, see what they had done? They forgot in their personal comfort the mission in the comfort of their fellowship. They settled for comfort over mission. I get that. I'm right behind them. Well, they got uncomfortable. 
and they got back on track for mission. Now, the 12 apostles, we're told, chose to stay in the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine going from a congregation of like 20,000 to 12? And they didn't stay there because they were stuck in rut and they wouldn't leave. No, they stayed there at great personal harm. In fact, one of them's about to be killed. They stayed there because we think they thought there should be some faithful witness of Jesus in Jerusalem. After all, the Great Commission said, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So they stayed in grave danger, and others scattered. Everyone had to be courageous. The church of Jesus was being destroyed, so it scattered. It says that Paul began to destroy the church. And folks, in 2,000 years, the church of Jesus has never been the same. But it has gotten better, and we can too. I have a statement. Jared made this up. You're going to see it. I'm going to read it. I want you to tuck away. If you're in the room or online you want to take a, a screenshot of it or you want to take a picture of it, you can. Because I think, I think as the rest of the talk continues, that you, you'll see where I might have come up with this wild idea. Here it is. The scattered, uncomfortable church is better at mission than the comfortable, inward-focused church. When fellowship is more important than mission, we're not the church. We're just a Christian club. I'm getting older. Did you know that people get crankier when they get older? I passed a milestone recently, and I am now officially old enough to be cranky. So I wrote that right there, and you can think it over. So I promised that there would be three stories. Here we go. Saul, Stephen, and Philip. First of all, Saul. Saul supported Stephen's stoning. And then he began to destroy the church. The church that Jesus had months before said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't even be able to prevail against its advance. And here now a puny young punk is destroying the church. How do you make sense of that? I'm expecting to Jesus to resolve this situation, aren't you? I'm expecting at least a good lightning bolt from heaven to get his attention, preferably just to neutralize him and smoke him away. Hmm. I am cranky. I got up way too early this morning and didn't get enough coffee. Pray for yourselves. Here I go. God did intervene, didn't he? Some of you know the story. But it wasn't by killing the one who was hell-bent and hell-supported to destroy the church. Jesus intervened when Saul was on one of his Christian-killing missions and he found him on a road and he caused him to repent, and Saul was converted, and he went to town, and he was physically healed, and he was filled with the Spirit, and he was given a commission. You're going to love this. This is, such, this is a story with twists and turns. This is so great. Remember Jesus' original mission? Make disciples in Jerusalem. Make them in Judea and Samaria. Make them to the ends of the earth. They were making disciples in Jerusalem, got all comfy, and they didn't leave town. Saul came and caused havoc, and so they finally got to Judea and Samaria, mission being accomplished. Saul gets intervened with, and when he is commissioned, he's commissioned to go to the Gentiles in partial fulfillment of the last part of Jesus' great commission. Is that amazing or what? Hey, just also, I'm going to sneak in some application, helpful hint. Do you have a nasty Saul in your life? Yes. I'll answer yes. You have several. 
people that are rubbing you the wrong way, some of them even intentionally harming you. And I'll tell you something. When you pray for them, your generosity of spirit toward them might be just the fuel that God uses to do a Saul to Paul transformation. Ah, he's going to accomplish his mission. Well, the second story is Stephen. He's a table waiter. Now he's a bold truth teller. He's a courageous martyr. He's an exemplary Christ follower. And like Jesus, who prayed for his murderers, in his dying breath, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Saul included. Third story. Philip is another one of the seven administrators. Philip, seeing Stephen killed, runs for his life to Judea and Samaria, just does what Christians do. He talks about Jesus, and as a result, finally the mission gets to Judea and Samaria. And so people are healed and they're freed, and oh, his comfort was sacrificed, but the mission was being accomplished. Finally, the gospel got out of Jerusalem out of that cozy incubator. Finally, just as Jesus had commissioned them to go make disciples here, near, and far, but they were hanging in Jerusalem, no one was going to choose to be uncomfortable. I mean, you meant me to get out of my comfy house with my comfy friends, with my host's beautiful meals where we're getting to hang out and take care of each other? You want me to voluntarily leave that? Go on a rigorous trek out into to helping the country bumpkin Judeans and maybe even into those nasty foreigner Samaritans? You want me to do that? That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> no. Haven't you read somewhere in the Bible that church is for fun, fellowship, and food? Let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's enjoy each other. Awesome. (laughs) By the way, I sign up for all of the above. Love it all. You should too, and we should do it. And we're going to get to do more of it. But here's the deal. That's not the mission. That's the community through which the mission can be accomplished. It's not the mission of Jesus. So let's summarize the story of the the first century church. We've talked about it just quickly. Here we go. Community. It was all about community originally. It was about the us. They were engaged with wonderful worship and fellowship and food and prayer and good for them and good for us. But notice notice what the pronoun is. It's us. Notice, secondly, Anna introduced us last week to conflict. By the way, you hang out with Christians long enough and it won't take long, there's going to be conflict among the community. And they resolved that conflict and they did it very well. But notice who the beneficiaries of that conflict resolution were? It's still, it's still us. No, the commission was about them. Here we go. That Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And so the church, number four, we read, experienced an unexpected disruption. Ouch is what I say to that. Ouch. Stephen's speech to the religious right of his day got him canceled. And when he told the truth about Jesus, they killed him for it. Now, I don't believe for a moment that God designed this persecution But I absolutely believe that the text is clear that God used it in kingdom-building, missional, helpful ways. And God will do the same for you to advance his mission. And the fifth thing that we discover about that early church 
is that when Jesus' mission is advanced, it's when the us leave our comfort, join Jesus in mission for the them. Notice the progression of pronouns. Well, what are some observations? Let's summarize this text this way. Here's four points. Number one, comfort kills mission. The Jerusalem church was so good at doing community. And they were inward, they were friendly, but apparently they were dead on mission. Second, bad stuff happens. I wish it didn't. I wish Jesus had said something random like, come follow me and you won't have any more trouble. Come follow me and your romance will be exemplary. Come follow me and you can have a 50-year marriage and it won't have any bumps and you'll stay together for life. Come follow me and you'll have beautiful children that have no physical kinds of limitations. Come follow me and your kids will be compliant teenagers. (laughs) Come follow me and your friends will all be good people. Come follow me and you're going to get an environment of affirmation much of your life. Come follow me and you'll never have a financial struggle or burden. Not there, folks. In fact, can I tell you what Jesus said probably weeks, maybe a couple of months before this? He said, in this life, you will have trouble. I still don't like that verse, and I've memorized it. But it sure makes sense of a lot of things, doesn't it? But what does he promise? Not the lack of trouble. You're going to have trouble. You're in trouble, folks. We are in trouble. Our region is in trouble. Our country is in trouble. Our world is in trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But that's when he promises his presence and his peace. Oh, wow. You can live on that. You can stake your life on that. When the disciples joined Jesus on mission, when they did join Jesus, then great things happen. Bad stuff happens. And that bad stuff can feel uncomfortable, but it can cause us to go outward. It can cause us to engage the other. And this is where the mission really comes alive. Number three, God uses bad stuff. Many of you could possibly quote this wonderful verse. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. It's 28. It says, And we know that in all things, how many things? All things. In your Saul moment things, all things. In your marriage struggle, the kids struggle, the work struggle, the financial struggle, the physical struggle, the aging struggle, the lack of romance struggle, in how many things? All things. God causes them to work together for the good, for all who love God and are called according to his, his purpose. Can I say it this way? When you love God and you're on mission with God, he will take all of the, all of the ugly And he will somehow weave it in a way that causes it to work for your good. That's happening right now in your life. God uses bad stuff. And finally, disciples join Jesus' mission, and there's a result. I love this. If you can see it, can you read that quote from Scripture? Here it is. So there was great joy in that city. That's the one. Let's do it again. If you're in the room, there was great joy in that city. Oh, that's why. We get out of our comfort. That's why fellowship and community is not the end. Because Jesus came for all of the world. And when disciples are on mission with Jesus, there can actually be a Samaria experience of great joy in the whole city. 
What would it look like for the whole city of Great Plains to have great joy? Or Banks, or Forest Grove, or Cornelius, or Beaverton, or Aloha, or Hillsboro, your community. Great joy. That's the end of mission. So I promised before I moved to the end with our application that's good for all of us that I wanted to tell just a little bit of our evergreen story. And again, if you're a guest or you're just tuning in for the first time and watching, I hope this is interesting for you. It won't be long. Some of you will actually really viscerally feel into the story because you've encountered it. And if you're recent with us and you're, you're joining this community, this little update will be very helpful for you. Now, I'm only going to talk about chapter 31 of the Evergreen story. Uh, Ann and I are the 31st lead pastors appointed to this almost 95-year-old church. We're 31 out of 95. Uh, some of you uh, have been here for some of the earlier chapters. And uh, uh, but, but I can only talk about the last uh, 12 and a half years or so. So chapter 31 looks an awful lot like the earlier chapters in the church. But this is our experience at Evergreen. Evergreen is, uh, has been in a comfortable pattern. And it's been a good pattern. And it's been a missional pattern here, near, and far. In fact, we've, we've been on a string of sending out a pastor or a church planter every year. We've enjoyed slow but certain over time uh, attendance growth. Many baptisms and conversions. We've had an excellent council of seven members who are competent and skillful and generous people. Uh, we've been well-funded. You've been able to pick the service you want attended. Some of them have different flavors. You've been able to come to the same service and actually recognize people because they weren't wearing masks and actually develop some friendships that were here. Yeah, and, uh, and there's patterns, and you've been a part of groups. Some of those groups have gone on for a long time, and, 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 and there's, there's ways of connecting and collecting together, and it's been very comfortable and a beautiful thing, and we've loved every moment of it, and none of us ask for that to be disrupted. Number two, did you know that we've had a 19-month disruption? Some of you are aware of that. It's a mess, isn't it? Your life is a mess. Your, your company's a mess. School's a mess. Parents are dropping their kids off at at school at the bus stop tomorrow, and, and a bus may or may not come. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you may or may not have colleagues. You may not be going to work on the, on the, on the crux of losing your job because of, other, of convictions that you have about vaccines. Life right now is, is a mess. You have a friend that watches the wrong cable network's channel, and she or he is pastored by that major spokesperson three hours a day and wants to give you a 30-minute executive summary every day. And it happens to be the cable news channel that you don't want to hear from. Life is a mess right now. Evergreen has experienced some disruption right now. Here we go. Just before the pandemic shut down, we had sent the paces from here to Aloha uh, with some of their, uh, their squad from... Uh, from Evergreen. By the way, they're doing great. It was just so fun. Anna and I got to be with Brad and Audrey this week, and they're doing so, so great. Then we had 10 months online only. We made significant investments in technology and beefing up our staff and our skills and abilities to operate that in various venues. Uh, we had a worship pastor transition that we didn't anticipate. We, we planned for a local church plant that launched this summer, and we also had an unanticipated local church plant that we launched this summer. We had families, including some council members, who are just key parts of our congregation relocate to other places across our state and across, across the country. We've had a reduction in income. And far more important to Evergreen is that we are known as a volunteer church, an extremely high percentage of volunteers. 
but it's been very difficult for volunteers to re-engage. It's hard for us to find our way forward. And right now, a relatively small handful of volunteers are carrying the weight for the rest of us because it's really hard for us to find our way back into volunteering. Would you agree with me that this has been a disruption? There's been a scattering. We've lost friends. We don't know how to connect. We don't know how to relate. We're trying to figure out what to do, where to go, with whom to do it, how to do it, and how to re-engage around it as it relates to God, gather, group, and give. But you can count on what I just said because our fresh opportunity is based upon a mission and a way that is the same. The mission here of we help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. And the evergreen way is we God, gather, group, and give. That's not changing, folks. Just about everything else is. The way we do that has been disrupted. Those patterns have been scattered. Some have been shattered. And we're moving forward into new opportunities. What if we framed scattering around identifying those fresh opportunities? Our opportunities are new. Different patterns are emerging. Different relationships are budding, different friendships are forming, different groups are connecting. I got to meet this week for the first time with a group of guys I'd never met before at uh, at Dutch Bros on the TV highway. Uh, One of the men uh, just found the church a couple months ago. Uh, Other guys have been around for a while. They hadn't met each other. It was just so much fun to launch this new group. And guys, you're invited to that. But the point is, there's a whole bunch of groups launching. But can I tell you, It's hard for most of us to take that step. That is a tough step to take. I don't know these people. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that I want to use a Zoom technology, but it's the only way and time I can access. Uh, Meeting with other people, I may not like them. What if it doesn't work for me and I have to try a second and the third group? Uh, It's inconvenient for me. Aren't all those things true for all of us? Those are all barriers that have come about because of our broken patterns. And we're all finding our way. But all of them include the hope of fresh discovery, fresh opportunities. And listen, this is my hope. This is the future. This is the future tense. This is what happens when we re-engage together in fresh mission. Here it is. As we engage on mission, we will bring joy to our cities. And Evergreen, that's our reputation. And you do it so well. Just this week, Anne gave the report. You're amazing. When, when we throw out an invitation to give financially or to engage in something like the Trunk or Treats or just a couple of weeks ago at a Renko Fest or in other things that are coming, when we throw out the challenge that requires time, talent, and money, Evergreeners, you step up into that. The arms thing being $131 off of the $10,000 goal, that is astounding to me. That's who you are. You'll love this story. You haven't heard this one. This week, we received a a call or a message from a a city employee. She happens to work for the city of Hillsboro. And and she called us, and she told us about a family in severe need here in Hillsboro. Uh, I mean, and, and, and their crisis must be intervened with in a substantial way to bring about transformation in their family. And it's timely, and it's immediate. And she told us about this desperate situation. And we ask, why did you call us? And she says, because I know what Evergreen is like in our community. And you came to mind first because you're the most likely to say yes to this need. Of course we accepted that need. 
staff and volunteers scrambled in teams. There's going to be time, effort, and money. A family's life is going to be intervened with in a transformational way this week because of your faithful commitment and participation. It's who we are. We are extravagantly generous. But we are all finding our way back in how it makes sense for us to engage and where to engage. And it's a messy time. But you know, as we serve together, we will bring joy to our cities. How do you define scattered? Well, one dictionary says rambling, separated, disorderly, and messy. And if you vote for that, it is. What if we took that same coin called scattered and turned it around and looked at the other side? It's just as authentic. It's just as truthful and candid. What if we framed our scattering around dispersed for mission? How about sprinkled like salt? How about scattered, sowed, like seed? How about spread out like strawberry jam across toast? Now your mouths are squirting and you're hoping I finish soon. So that every bit of that toast is touched with delicious jam so that anyone who bites off of it will have a little joy burst. What if scattering got us into every nook and cranny in our, in our western Washington County area? What if the churches that we partner with, the Paces in Aloha, the churches that we've sent out this summer that now are emerging this fall, what if they, in partnership with us and other many great churches in this community, found a way for that sweet jam to be scattered across, spread across a little more of the toast in our community for more people to experience that joy. What if? What if that's our Jerusalem and we are, see our scattering here in a way that is bringing joy to people? How about when we go into our north, north West region, what is our Judea and Samaria? We call it near. The sending of the Hughes that are now in Corvallis, the Hovitz in Salem, the Sawchucks in Battleground, the Paces in Aloha. And then how about to the ends of the earth, our far, with uh, the Crichtons in Saskatchewan. My apologies, Canada, you really aren't the ends of the earth. But also to Lori in Uganda. How about that, Evergreen? That's your legacy. That's your story. In chapter 31 of this church, every previous chapter has had similar stories. On mission together, making a difference here and here and far. Now, let's be, let's be honest. Did we expect to, sp to sp simultaneously uh, launch two churches in Hillsborough this fall? No, I'm not sure anybody in their right mind would plan for that. But, but it's a scattering for us. And we can choose to bring faith, hope, and love to that experience. And so we're like the early church. Many will stay here as the 12 did by conviction in this part of Jerusalem. Others will go and we bless and celebrate that as they follow Jesus into to mission. The point is that we are all on mission together. And whether we stay or whether we go, we all follow on mission. 
You know, this week, you're just so generous. You just give so well, and you extend so, so beautifully. A Friday afternoon, there was a memorial service here for Bob Ganos, and long, long-term member of the church, and a part of the 8 o'clock crowd, and, and many of many uh, Evergreeners came, and, and we just got to, in a memorial service, over the top, bless that family. That's, that's who we are. We, we, we extend and we bless. So the scattering is real, and it feels like that. It feels scattered to me. I was up between midnight and 2 this morning, and it wasn't because I was having a Saturday night party. It's because I couldn't sleep. I've had a few of those nights. Some of you have as well. We're scattered. I feel the effect of that. It is not good. Some of you have sleepless nights because horrible and difficult things are happening right now in your life. Some of you have sleepless nights because you have job situations that are so taxing and pressured. Some of you have sleepless moments because you have family members that you've suddenly done life with and you're now estranged from. Folks, we are living in a scattered time, and I want you to know something. There there has not been a time in my lifetime that is more advantageous and opportunistic for the church to rise up out of the scattered mess of our culture and to rise up and say, in faith, hope, and love, we are here to make sense of the world and to share the good news of Jesus. And out of the mess of my own preferences, just ask Ann if you don't think I have opinions. I have opinions about everything I've ever mentioned and more. But we can rise up out of the mess of the scattered opinions that we have around us and some really deeply held ones, and we can rise to the three things that Jesus would remain forever, faith, hope, and love. And we can be faith for others. We can give hope to others. We can love everyone all the time. We can do that with his strength. And in this season, what an opportunity for the church to actually look like something to people that are not just known for what they're down on and cranky about, but how they love and how they serve with a sense of hope and confidence. I almost started preaching there, and I really try not to do that very much. So here we go. A lot of stuff is going on. And we get to grow together, and we get to go together, and we get to bring joy to our cities. Everything's going to be all right. My guess is that every chapter in the first 30 chapters of Evergreen's long and fantastic history is that everything turned out all right. I say to you in your life, in what may be a shattered and a scattered mess, everything's going to turn out all right. Jesus is with you, causing it to work for his good. When the church was scattered in Acts chapter 8, in 2,000 years, it only continued scattering. It will only be brought back together in heaven. And this is a fun picture of the end of the story. The Apostle John looks forward. He records it in the book we call Revelation. It's chapter 7, verse 9. And he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Mission accomplished. Here, near, and far. 20,000 in Jerusalem was a big deal, but 20,000 is not 
a number that no one could count. Jerusalem wasn't every nation, tribe around the world. Mission accomplished through the tool of scattering. So, where are you today? Friends that are streaming online, folks that are watching it later, evergreeners and guests that are here in the room, I think you'll find yourself in these questions. Where have you gotten too comfortable? You've done some God stuff. It's gotten stale and old. Do some new God stuff. Find a new pattern. Group. Group's been disrupted. How will you find new patterns? And in your giving. I mentioned the folks that left the church, uh, just felt called and led to other places to relocate. And, and you know, when, and I mentioned that our income is down, uh, I guess what I'm supposed to do as a preacher is I'm supposed to twist your arm and tell you to give more. And, but those of you that know me know that I'm not going to do that because I, I care too much for you to do that. That, that is a, a dumb, manipulative thing in my opinion. But I want to tell you what God tends to do in opportunities like this. When he has blessed this church with individuals and with families who have generously given time, talent, and treasure, and then they are gone, that leaves gaps of time and talent, and financial giving. It leaves gaps. And what do those gaps tend to be filled with by God when he's doing a fresh thing? He causes to raise people up from within the community that have been enjoying the benefits of receiving, but not the benefits of giving into it. And that faith that's required to step up in bringing time, talent, and treasure in new and more generous ways is where you find his faith being more than adequate for you and his provision. It's because we love you that we invite you to take the challenge. We mourn the loss of friends who have gone because we enjoy them so much. We don't mourn the loss of the money that went with them as they relocated. We see the opportunity for God to do a beautiful thing as he nurtures from among us those of us that will step in as well. Where have you gotten too comfortable? How about who's your Saul? <laughs> you know, she or he may have a name. It may be a governor. It may be a boss. It may be, uh, may be an institution. It may be an entity. It may be a, well, let's not say a spouse or a kid or a parent. It may be, I don't know who they are. But who's that Saul in your life that is wronging you? May not know it. And certainly isn't asking for forgiveness from it. And then my question, which is really a nasty one, is who are you being a Saul toward? I find myself in this story. Uh, you think that I'm a nice guy, but I'm really, really a snarky old guy. And uh, I every day end up with my list of who I have been Saul to. I usually discover that in the morning, my personal time with Jesus. And I say, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's anything nasty in there. And usually there's nasties that come out. And often they have to do with judgments I've made about people. You know, I might have judged them because they watch MSNBC or CNN or Fox or which news feeds they subscribe to. Or maybe, maybe... Let me ask the question, do you ever send cranky YouTube links? Or maybe make a snarky Instagram post or Discord chat? Or maybe they educate their kids the wrong way. Or maybe they vaxxed or they don't vax. Or maybe they wear masks, so obviously they're sellouts. Or maybe they don't wear masks and obviously they don't care about social responsibility. 
I don't know about you, but I have plenty of reasons to come up being salt to people. Which brings us into the fourth question then. Who are you treating as Stephen did? I want to invite you this week to join me in this challenge. Let's join Stephen and say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How can I possibly bring joy to their life while I am judging them for being so wrong? And then there's the question of where are you feeling scattered as Philip was? Feeling untethered, disconnected. Who are you missing? Who are you finding it hard to reach out to, to make new friends? Maybe you're working hard and serving hard and you feel resentment against others who haven't stepped up and are still dinking around. How are you struggling with new patterns about how to relate to God in a fresh and meaningful way? How to gather and with whom and where and when and, and how to sing with those darn masks anyway and, 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 and groups. The friends are gone and how do I reconnect and And how about giving and the challenge for all of us to step into generosity? I want you to tell us about that. Some of you, it'll be a connection card. Some of it, a virtual connection card. Some of you, chat or email. If you're here physically present today in the lobby, you'll want to tell friends. Let's be real about how you're feeling scattered. And then finally, how are you on mission with Jesus as Philip was? Anna and I went to a conference this week, a bunch of pastors. Um... At the end of it, they said, let's take some time and listen to what Jesus is saying to you. And got a great word. I've already embedded it into the message today, which, by the way, uh, we usually do. Most messages include words of prophecy, encouragement. It just seemed so simple, but it's so profound, so profound. Everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right for you. It's going to be all right for you. Everything's going to be all right. That family mess, that work mess, that neighborhood mess, that financial mess, everything's going to be all right. I can't tell you what all right looks like, but I do know this, that God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In the meantime, we're going to do community well. We're going to love each other. We're going to give ourselves space. We're going to give ourselves grace. We're going to have preferences. We're going to have differences. We're going to tick each other off, and we're going to love each other through it. And we're not going to get too comfortable in our fellowship. We're going to go on mission together and bring great joy to our cities. Would you stand with me? Those of you at home, good time for you to stand as well. And let's change this physical posture by putting our feet solidly on the ground, taking a stand firm, just like you were standing on a rock. And let's call that rock Jesus. And he said on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to him we pray today, Jesus, build your church in us, through us, among us, around us, and beyond us in ways that are profoundly strong and powerful and helpful and loving and hopeful 
and help us extend into every nook and cranny of our community and region and your church across this country and around the world and add to and extend into this beautiful vision that John saw of an innumerable multitude of people coming from every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before you in praise and worship because the mission was accomplished. Lord, heal the pain in our lives. Give us hope to see the side of the coin that sees opportunity. Give us faith to believe into and follow you into a future. And give us love for everyone all the time. Everywhere is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you agree with that once again, would you say together with me, amen.